Is she Topolsky or is she Trelawney? Then the parents are like sleeping in the basement. Whatever her job is, she is doing it poorly. Hello and welcome to Pass the Hot Sauce, a Roswell podcast. I'm Aliza Ora. I'm Lisa Abigail. And I'm Lorena Rose. We're here to talk about every episode of the 1999 WB series Roswell, one at a time and spoiler free. Today we are discussing season one, episode three, Monsters. The IMDb description of this episode is... Isabel uses her powers to visit Maria in her dreams. After she, Max, and Michael begin to fear, Maria will not be able to keep their secret. My description of this episode is it's the super gay one, where my offhand comment from last episode about how I think Maria and Isabel would balance each other out nicely turns into just a full-fledged hardcore ship on my part. So I just want to say all aboard the SS Maribel. Because that is going to be my entire commentary on the show. If anyone takes issue with that, welcome aboard, everyone. Welcome aboard. <laughs> That's my best foghorn. I yes, don't know. <laughs> thank you. Um, so, this episode is written by Thania St. John, who wrote the Buffy season three episode, Gingerbread, which is kind of a classic. <gasps> Yeah, she's also currently a writer and co-executive producer on the show Project Blue Book, which is a History Channel show about the secret government program called Project Blue Book that investigated UFO sightings. If you haven't listened to last week's minisode yet, you can check it out for more information on Project Blue Book. Yeah, so Tanya St. John continuing to work in the alien genre. And the episode was directed by David Semmel, who also directed a few episodes of Buffy, a few episodes of Angel, a few episodes of Seventh Heaven, and several episodes of Dawson's Creek. So he was just making the rounds of WB shows in the late 90s and early 2000s, clearly. Sounds like everybody in the WB. The actors, the directors, everybody just making their way around town. Yes, walking fast, faces passing their homebound. Uh, The original air date was the 20th of October, 1999. (laughs) Sorry, Mandy. (laughs) Mandy just looked at me like, I'm going to have to edit that out. (laughs) I hope not. (laughs) Um, Speaking of awesome songs, I am so glad that they got the rights to Christina Aguilera's Genie in a Bottle because it's perfect. Yes. So this is the first time we see Mahandra Delfino, who's a a real singer, sing, and it's Mm -hmm. like, a half a line of genie in a bottle uh but i mean guys for anyone who doubts the gay subtext of this episode i would like to refer you to the line come 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 on and let me out i'm just saying out of what who knows maybe if someone rubs maria the right way they'll find out Did you ever listen to Disney Channel Radio where they changed the lyrics to You Gotta Treat Me the Right Way? Oh. Because it was too inappropriate to say rub. (laughs) Meanwhile, wasn't Christina Aguilera like 16 when she recorded that song? No one thought, "Mm, maybe this is problematic. Okay. Um, So Maria happens upon Dear Sweet Isabel, who apparently her powers do not extend to Jeep fixing. Um because she has had to call in a tow truck 
which prompts Maria to do her cute little joke where she asks Isabel if she's going home because there is a rocket strapped to the back of the tow truck. And Isabel thinks this is hysterical. No, she doesn't. She doesn't at all. Very amused. I mean, in theory, with their ability to manipulate molecular structure, you'd think that fixing a vehicle would be easy. Right. You could manipulate it yes. to run, right? Right. Well, and yeah, Isabel like- can fix the air conditioning and the sound system in Maria's car... So exactly. mm. And my understanding is that air conditioning is not like the simplest thing to fix in a car. And she did it with the wave of a hand. So why couldn't she like fix her transmission or whatever was yeah or her what was it like radiator, radiator coil? Yeah. I don't know. Maybe it was because she can only use her powers recreationally. So oh, sound systems right. and AC only recreationally. Great, but if it's like a carburetor, ugh, that doesn't sound fun. And this jogged my memory to the books that the TV show is based on, which, side note, we have very quickly veered very far off course from the plot of the books. But in the first book, Max and Michael literally make a car drive without them in it. Like, that's how they get Valenti off their trail. Mm. They use their powers to drive a car into a lake so that Valenti will think the alien drowned in the lake but they aren't actually even in the car. They're just manipulating the car with their powers. Um, also, I was mad at Maria for being mad at Isabel for fixing her AC. Yeah. Like, so I, think- I get that you're freaked out, but if the AC in your car doesn't work and someone fixes it for you, like, you that's pretty thank awesome. Thank you. Right. Yeah. But if you are so overwhelmed by their sexuality that you don't know what Mm. to do with yourself, uh, as evidenced by the look between them when Isabel reaches over to touch the keychain and Maria's look is like, hey, girl, what's up? Lean in a little closer, There's clearly a lot of sexual tension between them. Yeah, they get a little bonding going on. They start talking about their moms and Maria is like, maybe we do have some things in common after all. And then she's just staring at Maria's or at Isabel's gorgeous face and she just drives right into the sheriff's car. Yeah. Um, but she does first, Maria does get to prompt Isabel to say, oh, you mean we're horrible, disgusting creatures from outer space who sneak into your room at night and perform excruciating experiments, which is mildly ironic because Isabel is about to sneak into Maria's room at night via her dreams. I pretty much do that. It's like a a brain experiment. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's not excruciating. But also, mm-hmm. if I could just make a comment about their appearances in this scene, I feel like... And I'm probably being judgmental about their appearances, but it's the 90s, so let me. Um, I feel like Maria looks more like an alien than Isabel here. <laughs> like, Maria's hair is weird. With and her it's crazy like, little pixie. Yeah, and it has just very hard lines. Like, you know, the bangs are very short and just, like, very hard lines. Her makeup is just looking extra pale with her, like, thin... Eyebrows. There's nothing wrong with wanting to be pale. <laughs> it's true. Hey, I'm I'm a very pale person. I Me am as well. Yeah. Any shade of any shade of skin is great and beautiful and wonderful. But she was looking there's something about her with her like sleeveless blue thing. It looks futuristic. She just looks alieny. She there's something sci-fi looking about her and whereas Isabel looks like a teenage girl. Yeah. One of the Roswell books that I have described 
Maria's haircut as being a Star Trek haircut, which I think matches nicely with what Elise is talking about. Oh, yeah. Maybe like, that's... very harsh, clean lines, futuristic, no nonsense. Maybe that's why they gave her such a weird haircut. Maybe. So, yeah. Just thought I'd comment on that. It's like, she looks much more like an alien. Yeah. Um, so they crash into the car. Of course, it's driven by the sheriff. And we get this lovely pan up from the boots to the gun to his sunglasses. And he is a bad guy. And he's very handsome. And the music, the like, you know, creepy music. And he says, ladies. Oh, it's so creepy. I hate that. It's better than girls, I guess. But either way. Yeah. Um, and then, speaking of creepy, Topolsky is uh, at school doing her little presentation on Future Week, asking the students, what will the future bring for you? Which which begs the question, is she Topolsky or is she Trelawney? <laughs> <laughs> like, that is not science. She's like, science always wonders, like, what will your future be? Or like she she says something about it being a scientific question mm-hmm. to tell the future. Like, yeah, that's not. She's going to use her su- super scientific look at this drawing and tell me which kid you are on the swing set. <laughs> Science. And now a word from a furry pod mother. I don't know if any of you noticed the way that baby Hanks was clicking the clicker for the slideshow for her, just his facial expression, his arm movements. He was so into it. He was such a good little helper. (laughs) Yeah. It was just a wonderful choice, I think, (laughs) on little Hanks's part. Uh, Okay, now I have to go back and watch that. Ditto. Ditto. Oh, it's really, he's like super into it. And he's wearing his little weird shirt. It's it's great. (laughs) Yeah. That was a good moment, Mandy. Um, I was really excited because this episode didn't open with Liz's stupid voiceover, and then she does a stupid voiceover. So yeah, I was less excited. You get it just not quite at the beginning, but... Yeah. And at school, we notice that the film club is presenting an alien double feature. There are posters for it all over the school, and it features a, a tentacled alien who is reaching out to grab a woman. This imagery will become significant later on in the episode. Good noticing. I saw that there was like a repeating flyer, but I thought it was for like a band or something. Yeah, I saw that, but I didn't connect it. Yeah, I um, slowed it down to get a screenshot because of course I did. Um, if you would like to see that screenshot and many others, tune into our Instagram, Roswell Hot Sauce. Uh, Maria is using so many phrases that I'm like, whoa, girl. So she says that she gave the car a love tap. Um, because Miss Isabel was playing with her head. Um, and then she says that she was there to extend herself to try to reach out and give her that old I come in peace thing, you know? To which I say, yes, yes, Maria, I know. Yes. Girl, I know. <laughs> uh, Liz seems like a really crappy friend. Like, she's immediately like, Maria, what did you do to make Isabel mad? I'm like, dude, come on, man. Just be here for your friend a little bit. I really liked Maria's, it takes two to tango, but how can I tango with her if she's creeping me out? Yes. Yes. Yes, She just (laughs) wants to tango with Isabel. I'm not sure she was really using the idiom correctly, but I really appreciated it. She definitely wasn't, but 
I think it just demonstrated what's really on her mind, which is that she wants to be doing wants to dance. the horizontal tango with this bell. It started with fear. How did we end up here? When the woman of your dreams is now the woman in your dreams. When an alien meets a homo sapien. Maria and Isabel, Mary Bell, Mary Bell, Mary Bell, Mary Bell. I'm just saying, y'all, this is not going to get less throughout this episode. So. <laughs> and of course, the scene ends with Maria being like, I'm in control. I'm in control. And let me just say, she is so not in control. She is not in control at all. But, right. So I feel like it is a really good parallel for like figuring out that you're queer, developing a crush on someone that you didn't think of in that way before and having these feelings that you're afraid of for someone you didn't think you would have these types of feelings for and trying to find reasons to like push away from that person. So I know I'm reading a lot into this, but mm, it is what it is. So then we go to Darla's office. (laughs) I mean, Miss Topolsky. Yes. No, I don't. (laughs) And she's asking everybody, what's your dream job? And I must say, the first answer really threw me for a loop. Uh, Yeah. Brad Pitt's love slave. Why not girlfriend or wife? And why? what was with the choice to have... One of the only black actresses say this about a white actor. It just seemed like a kind of misguided choice. I feel like it was probably just a careless choice. Yeah. But yes, yeah. misguided. Sure, careless. Like they just didn't think of it. They didn't, yeah. they didn't think about it. We cast this girl as an extra and let's just get right. like, her some It definitely wasn't on purpose. And... They just like nobody thought about it. Yeah. In other news, I did find out that that character has a name, and it's Genevieve. So, yay! Genevieve! She doesn't just have to be Liz's only black friend. But then she says the cheese factory. And then other people say the cheese factory. So I was like, what's going on with this cheese factory thing? Is there a cheese factory in Roswell? So I looked it up, and yes, indeed, there actually (laughs) is a big cheese factory in Roswell. Roswell actually claims to be, claims to have the largest manufacturing plant of domestic mozzarella cheese in the United States. Awesome. Another place to visit when we go to Roswell. Can (laughs) we go on a factory tour, please? They have tours. So many more reasons to visit. Um, so good on the show for doing their research, I guess, and knowing like who is the big employer in town. Yeah. And so that company uh, provides cheese to Pizza Hut, Domino's, Papa John's, DiGiorno's, Hot Pockets, Stouffer's. So uh, we are currently accepting sponsors for this show. If any of those companies would like to pay us money, we just said your names. And we like cheese. We do. Yes. It is my favorite food group. I will just say that right now. Um, we also see this kid that like we never see otherwise. They don't really know why he's here except to talk about Metallica, which is uh, Brendan Fair, who plays Michael. That's his favorite band. And he has multiple Metallica tattoos, according to an interview that I read. Hmm. So there you go. Um I really enjoyed Maria's answer to where do you think you'll be in 10 years, which was, oh, we could all be dead in 10 years. Realistic. Accurate, Maria. (laughs) So accurate. 
And a great contrast to Isabel, who's like, I'm going to be a supermodel because I usually get what I want. And of course she does. She's supposed to be 16 years old, and she looks like Catherine Heigl at 25. So, yeah, that'll do wonders for your self-esteem. I also liked her line, I never really played well with others. Yes. Yes. In response to who she is on the playground. (laughs) Like, I'm not on that playground. I'm not a playground kind of person. Yeah. So they're in high school and she's showing them these pictures of small children and being like, which small child are you? And this does not seem like an age appropriate exercise. No. And Maria points this out when she asks if it could possibly get any more lame. And the answer is no, I don't think so. I don't think it could. We also finally see Max, who we didn't get to find out what he wanted to do do in the future we didn't find out what michael wants to do either so that was kind of a bummer um but he is going to be the creepy kid sitting behind a tree watching the other kids dance in a circle Eliza, i don't know about you but i assume that they were dancing the hora what other kind of circle dancing is there right well in so there's another picture where like they're maybe on a jungle gym but i honestly thought it looked like they were building a chuppah and then they go to dance the hora. <laughs> so I think she found pictures so from a children's a book about wedding. Jewish weddings. I think that's what happened. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I see it. Yeah. So Max is trying to keep a low profile, but he chooses just the creepiest answer that he possibly could. The one that's most likely to draw follow up questions. <sighs> but then he's like, I was I was kind of kidding. Yeah. Oh, buddy. Well, no, you weren't. No. His jokes are usually much funnier about how he has a third eye or something. Um, And she does the classic guidance counselor thing of just being like, oh, yeah, like me too when I was younger. You know, when I was younger, I had the same exact problem and I blah, 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 blah. Let me be relatable to you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I do feel like she like got right up against a line there, though, when she was like, I talked to a guy I liked. I was like, are you flirting with him? What are you doing? Yeah, that was weird. Yeah, so I was wondering, like, is she trying to push him towards Liz? Does she know about their relationship? How much does she know about them? What's her real motive? Because this is really bad guidance counseling. No kidding. She also writes, the note that she writes for Max is, has secrets. And the note that she writes for Maria is, feelings of insecurity, to which I say, yes, they're teenagers. Jody Clancy gets a note that she is constructive, self-mature, and John Feldman is extroverted, positive. So she had nice things to say about other students. Well, don't we all wish we were John Feldman Right. Then? Max continues his creepiness by just hanging out in the hall, waiting for Liz. He is making an effort, though, which is very nice, but it's also really awkward. Yes, he's making an effort to come out from behind the tree. Some advice that someone gave Mm -hmm. him. Yeah. And then we find out that everyone knows that Maria and Isabel are totally into each other. Max knows about it, and he... uh, So it... Liz says, oh, Isabel kind of makes Maria a little, and Max is, like, nervous. Which, yes, yes. Yes. The girls I like always make me nervous. So Liz tells Max that Maria said Isabel did things. Yeah, I I bet she did. Mm -hmm. But as usual, they need to team up to keep the situation from getting out of control, because... As much as they claim to be friends with Maria, everyone kind of treats her like she is a dumb child. 
Yes, agreed. And I'm tired of it already. Yeah, it's not great. So the aliens are trying to keep a low profile by openly talking at lunch about how they are aliens. (laughs) Also, funny how Maria was obsessively talking about Isabel to her friend. Mm -hmm. And now Isabel is obsessively talking about Maria to her friends. Yeah. Hmm. My very favorite part of this is when Isabel says, the way to deal with DeLuca is to make her sweat, keep her on her toes. I was like, yeah, that's definitely part of the plan. Yeah, she wants to see her all sweaty. All sweaty. Uh Uh-huh. And Michael wants to kill her. Yeah, I mean, whatever. (laughs) It's good to to entertain competing ideas. It's funny because he wants to kill her. And then like a minute later, I actually found him being pretty reasonable because he wants to follow the lead of the key. And he's the only one like throwing out ideas and like, you know, they're like, you're grasping at straws. He's like, I know. I'm just kind of he's, he's brainstorming. He's like trying to do something about it. Right. He's like, we have no other straws, so I will grasp at these ones. Yeah, like nobody else is coming up with ideas. Yeah, so I also feel like there, Michael, much like Maria, gets talked about like he is someone who can't be trusted to just live his own life. Yes, this is a common theme with the two of them. Yeah, their friends aren't great. This is why I think they should get together and start a band. Ah, his love for Metallica, her... Christina Aguilera vocals. (laughs) Right? Isabel will hang out at practices and just, you know, look pretty. Yeah. Everybody needs a groupie. She could probably be their business manager. Yeah. She seems very savvy. Yeah. So Max wants Isabel to find somebody to talk to Maria about something they have in common. I have an idea, you guys. What's your idea? Um... I don't know if it's the kind of language we can use on this show, (laughs) but I think you all know. And Maria knows, too, because she sees Isabel and she just drops all of her books because she is so overcome. So nervous. This <laughs> physical comedy was brilliant. Yes. From like, it's 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 not just dropping the books. It's like the second before it, she's doing this like kind mm-hmm. of stroking her hair to the side, like fake thing, like pretending to be all cool, but then just drops them all and then picks them up and acts all cool when she stands up. It's I thought she did a great job. Well done, Mahandra. Yes, very, very good. Liz is talking to Topolsky about her future. I think her future is the most boring one because she just knows exactly what she wants to be. And she knows that she wants to be a scientist because she likes the smell of sulfur. Who likes the smell of sulfur? Literally no one. down here. Nobody. Nobody likes the smell of sulfur. It's like the point of sulfur. Right. Like, did the writers of this just not know what sulfur smells like? Do they not know it smells like rotten eggs? Why does your chemistry class smell like sulfur? What are you doing wrong? This is not just like a scent that should linger in the air. I Whatever. But she likes science because it's a way of figuring out the incredibly mysterious world. And she likes to be in control of things because, of course, she does. Um, when <laughs> Topolsky says, what about taking life as it comes? We get this fantastic piece of acting where Sherry Appleby as Liz is just like, no. It's amazing. She just shuts her down. She's like, nope. Absolutely not. Nope. And then cut to the crash down where Liz, who <laughs> likes to be in control of everything, has made the most 
insane scheduling chart that I have mm-hmm. ever seen. It is wild. It also, if you look at it closely, doesn't make any sense with like the number of days that exist in a week. It yeah, doesn't I, work. I paused to try to understand it. I could not. No, it's nonsensical. But things are split into first orbit, second orbit, and third orbit instead of shifts, which is cute. That's, that is cute. I wrote in my notes, I said, Liz is very type A, it seems. I am not. She also made all of these people come in when most of them were not scheduled to work that day, yeah. which raises the question, like, why does she have this much power? Is she in charge? Is there not a manager of this restaurant? Where are her parents? Yeah, and why, do, why does she have the power to call them? And why does she have the power to redo the entire schedule? Yeah. Why is no one managing this dining establishment? <laughs> and like, right, her, her dad isn't even there. No, he's not. No, no one's there. She's in charge. It's just Maria being like, great job, buddy. I like the colors. Because Maria is a supportive friend, unlike Liz. Um, Maria, at this point, notifies us that Queen Amidala has entered the Crashdown Cafe. This was actually a really topical reference. The Phantom Menace had just come out in May of 99. I was going to say the same thing. But I I also think she's being, you know, even for Maria, I think she's being pretty dramatic when she says, I live in constant fear of her knowing any moment could be my last. Yeah. And for this, I just want to say, go sniff some cedar oil, Maria. <laughs> <laughs> Um, it should be cypress oil, though. I know. So. I knew you were going to say that. I knew you were going to say it. <laughs> and you're totally right, because that's what she was sniffing. But uh, I'm just whatever. quoting Liz in episode yeah. two. <laughs> okay. So they're going to all be one big happy family with Isabel and Maria as the matriarchs, I assume. They are so awkward with each other. Isabel is just trying to take Max's advice, order some fries, make friends, and Maria cannot hold her life together and of course the sheriff walks in and he wants a coke maria is so nervous she if you look at the machine definitely gives him diet coke oh i didn't catch that yeah she totally gives him diet she's just (laughs) like i don't know how to do life um and then the sheriff asks for her insurance information which like i don't know what their policy is but you should definitely ask that at the scene of the collision especially (laughs) when you're in a presumably city or county owned vehicle yes and a member of law enforcement the people who usually arrive at the scene of the accident and help with things should know that you need to exchange insurance information immediately yeah It doesn't make sense logically, but it sets him up to tell her that he is there to protect Maria from anything. And this is a really interesting arc for him. I think it deepens the sheriff's character a little bit in this episode because we see him not just being the bad guy who's tailing the aliens, but really having this like essentially childhood trauma with his father um, and his his father's belief in aliens and his treatment by the people of the town. And like he's really driven by that to just try and get to the truth. He's not necessarily trying to get anyone in trouble or hurt anyone. He just wants to find out the truth behind all of these things that his father was investigating for so long and that lost his father, his job, and his family. Mm-hmm. So I think it's nice that we get a little bit more uh, I always think it's nice when we get more of William Sadler because I think he's real, real nice to look at. <laughs> and in general, characters generally aren't one-sided 
and aren't so black and white. And, you know, it's good to get a, a background and a history on him so we can start to understand this character and his motivations and see him as more of a, a human. Yes. Yeah. As more of a well-rounded person and not just a flat character. Yeah. And I think yeah. that there were shows during this time that had those one-dimensional characters. And I'm really glad that they avoided that trap. Yes. There's a terrific little kid in this next scene. Max comes into yeah. the diner and this kid points his toy gun at him and said, must kill aliens. So really subtle job there. And for those who aren't aware, this kid is played by Daryl Sabara, who was in Spy Kids mm. and is now is now married to Megan Trainer of All About That Base oh. fame. Mm. Interesting. Yes. Just a small little tidbit for yeah, you. Yeah, that's, that's cool. So this was interesting. This 80s hair mom asks if there's anything scary in the UFO center, which is directly across the street from the Crashdown Cafe. Super convenient. And Max says he's never been in there, which I would think if you're an alien growing up in a town famous for aliens and there's a museum about aliens you might go in there and see if they maybe know anything interesting that could help you figure out your past. Yeah, but like he's never thought to go in there? Surely there would have been a birthday party or something there at some point. Yeah, like a classmate's party. Or a field trip. Right. Or just the parents. I mean, how many things are there to do in Roswell? Do they have a zoo? Do they have an aquarium? I don't know, but they definitely have a UFO center. So, like, if there's one museum in town, you're going to go there. Again, especially if you <laughs> yourself are an alien and you yeah. don't know much about where you come from. Yeah. Um, Max is very observant. He notices Maria shortchanges this lady, so he offers to run it over, which gives him an excuse to go to the UFO center. But it also raises the question for me. Maria says she's the only one at the diner. Where are Liz's parents? Who manages this diner? Where is anyone over the age of 18? I don't understand how this diner is run. It is a disaster. Where are any of those other people that were here for the staff meeting? Well, they all got sent home. Uh, who else is on the schedule? Yeah, we gotta go check it, and yeah. see who's orbiting right now. It's a full diner with like a bunch of tables. How could there be one person? Right? And an outdoor seating area. Like, it's a big diner. Yeah. So she's doing the cash register and managing all of the tables. That is too much for one teenager. Agreed. So Max waltzes right into the museum. Which, if you notice on the outside of the building, it says Roswell Civil Defense Authority and it has the sign to indicate that it is a fallout shelter. Huh. So I don't really know what to make of that. But if there's ever a nuclear event, we know Max will be super safe at work. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I didn't see him pay admission or for the tour that he went on. <laughs> nope. He just nope. kind of walked in and joined a tour. Mm -hmm. But there also only seems to be one employee at the museum. So if he took everybody's money and then started a tour, then now there's nobody at the front to take Max's Right, Max's he was money. not at the front desk. <laughs> yeah. And this museum really just seems to be a giant warehouse filled with weird dioramas. Like an alien autopsy. Yes. So we see photos on the wall of Walter G. Hott and Glenn Dennis, who are the founders of the Real UFO Museum and Research Center in Roswell, which opened in 91-92. Oh. Um, you'll hear more about them on our mini-sodes about the Roswell incident. 
But my favorite part is that there is a section of the wall that has an exhibit that is entitled Rods. Yes, I saw that. And I really, I just think it seems like a mood. Rods. Yeah. The one employee of the UFO Center is played by Steve Heitner, who was on Seinfeld as Kenny Banya. Yes, he was. So good. Classic role. Yes. And he got some fun stuff to do in this, too. He's a really enjoyable actor to just watch doing things with his face. Yes. Yes. He's got good expressions, good style. He's perfect for this role. Mm Mm-hmm. Totally. Um, He tells us that the evidence suggests the aliens had been studying us for quite some time. I'm really curious if that will be part of the show's mythology. Like, is that why Max and Michael and Isabel look like humans? Were the aliens studying them and then they genetically engineered their little pod babies to be able to blend in, but didn't bother telling them the plan? I don't know. I'm curious. Maybe I'll find out later in the season, I hope. Maybe you will. There's a very unsubtle moment where uh, the guy is describing living your entire lives with a terrible secret that you can't share with your loved ones for fear of their safety. He says, I don't think anyone here today is strong enough for that. Pantamax, who's like, "Mm, hi, me. I'd like to raise my hand here. Accurate. I'm I'm doing it. I'm, I'm doing it. Uh, although Max was like, yeah, I was strong enough to take the secret to my grave until a pretty girl looked at me and then I lost my resolve and I told her everything. Yeah, it didn't take very long. Yeah. Well, I mean, it took 10 years. Sure. Didn't take much then. Um, Max is trying to keep a low profile, but decides to shout, what about 1959? Which seems pretty reckless. The entire previous episode, he was chastising Michael for being too gung-ho and not thinking things through. And then he's just like, why don't I yell in this crowd of people some information that could point them to my deepest secret? Great. Great. Uh, And I assume that that same kid from the diner understands what's happening because he again comes up to Max and says, must kill all aliens. Pew, pew, pew. So yeah, I think he has a future as a government alien hunter. I mean, he obviously has a good eye for spotting them. Yeah. I think a museum, a quiet, dark museum, is not a place to bring that child. No. Personally. No. No. Well, I think the mom realizes it. Later, as, as someone who works with kids with challenging behaviors, <laughs> a museum is not a place to bring that kid. Although it does seem like a you know fun, whimsical museum, or like a a museum where th- he could be more engaged or like interactive or like with some child programming. Hmm. Yeah, you don't think that this small child just wants to look at alien autopsies all day? Fun, fun, fun. His mom seemed pretty stressed out. I know. I felt really badly for this poor fictional woman. Yes. She looks (laughs) like she cannot handle it. She has Mm -mm. no chill. No, she's having an awful time. But neither do her kids. Yeah. Uh, There's a really nice shot where uh, Max and the UFO guy who are talking finally move their giant heads out of the path of the projector that they've been blocking like dum-dums. Um, but we get this shot then where we pan from the night sky in the film to the night sky outside of Max's bedroom. It's a nice bit of cinematography. Mm-hmm. We see Max's bedroom for the first time. It seems like he has an ensuite bathroom, which made me wonder, like, does this house 
do, do all of the bedrooms have ensuite bathrooms? Or, like, is he in the master for some reason and the parents aren't? Yeah, why would he be? What's going on? And, like, if you, I mean, not to reinforce gender norms, but it seems like in this household, the girl is going to get the room with the ensuite. Because... Well, she does get whatever she wants. Right? right? Maybe they both have ensuite bathrooms and the parents <laughs> are, like, sleeping yes. in the basement or something. Oh, it's like a reverse Harry Potter situation. Yes. Yeah, they're under the stairs. Yeah, they have this little conversation that I think is actually kind of poignant. Um, it's something that people that I know who have been adopted talk about. You know, do you have, quote unquote, real biological parents out there somewhere? Obviously, it takes on a slightly different tenor for Max and Isabel. Um, but this seems like a normal teenage experience to have, even if you're not adopted, just wondering who you are and where you come from and what your purpose is. Mm-hmm. And where you yeah. fit in in the world. And- um, can I just take a moment to point out that Isabel is wearing a matching pajama set? Uh, and a matching pink silk, pajama so set? It is the 90s after all. And we're all excited about this because Buffy wears lots of matching pajama sets. Mm-hmm. Nobody I know wears matching pajama sets, but here is Isabel Evans wearing a matching pajama set. So I was excited to see that. When I was in middle school, I had a matching pajama set, but it was Paul Frank. It was the little monkey faces all over. So it wasn't quite as sexy as Isabel's pink satin. I feel like I had matching pajama sets, but they were always flannelly with like kitschy prints on them and stuff, not like fancy, silky, satiny pajamas like Isabel Mm. has. I never had any. I always wore just like sleep shirts, yeah. big t-shirts. But I also didn't have the body of a 25-year-old supermodel at that age. So maybe that was a contributing factor. I mean, I didn't have the body of a 25-year-old supermodel when I was 25 either. Yeah, no. Sadly, I did not grow into that. But meh, what can you do? <laughs> we can't all be 25-year-old supermodels. No. Only Katherine Heigl can. She's the only I'm st- one. I'm still holding out. Still holding out. <laughs> you never know. It's good to have dreams. Yeah. When I grow up. <laughs> and one of Isabel's dreams is to have someone that she feels the same way about that Max feels about Liz. To which I say, you do. Her name is Maria. And you are about to go visit her in her dreams. In her dreams. <laughs> yeah. So this is a fun power that Isabel has where she just touches someone's photo and then immediately falls to sleep and enters their unconscious. It's just recreational. Yes. It's terrifying. <laughs> Not invasive or anything. No, just recreational. No. I really enjoy the depiction of Liz here because I think we're meant to see this as the way Maria sees Liz. And she has this <laughs> high-pitched voice and she's super prissy and she's like, some people are just pigs. And it's Adorable. And I am glad that Maria, after taking all that crap from Liz, was like, well, you know what? In my brain, mm, you kind of stink. Yeah. It's only fair. Yeah. But also, why did Isabel wait till 3.12 a.m. to do this? Like, couldn't she have done it at, like, 12.30? Like, it's a, it's a school night. It's safe to assume that, like, at 1 a.m., Maria would be sleeping. She waited till very late. Just saying. 
Maybe the aliens need less sleep, so that was just when she was going to bed. Oh, yeah, she was, like, busy doing other stuff, and this is just when she had the time. I mean, she was brushing out her hair. It was so freaking shiny. Yeah, she's always brushing her hair. You can tell just by looking at it. Right. I mean, if I had hair like that, I would probably be brushing (laughs) it all the time, too. I mean, probably not right before you got into bed, though, because it's just going to get messed up. Unless you're her. Also, when you have wavy hair... Don't brush it that much. Separate the waves. So Isabel is already in Maria's dream as a scary looking like B-movie sci-fi horror alien. Um, Liz is totally unperturbed and she says, they look perfectly normal to me, which is very cute. And Michael's also there, but he is wearing tux and looking pretty dapper. And this is an Hmm. interesting choice. And Maria's explanation for it doesn't make much sense to me. Because she said it's like it makes her less afraid. Yeah. But then why only him? Why isn't Isabel, like, why aren't Isabel and Max dressed differently? Right. Yeah. Well, Isabel does at least get to appear in her beautiful pink satin pajamas, which raises a lot of questions for me. Like, is she astral projecting? How does this work? She, like, took her clothes with her into this projection. Very confusing. Mm-hmm. Um, when Isabel points out, though, that Michael just looks handsome, he morphs into something resembling that creature that Maria saw in the poster advertising the film club's double feature. With a crazy claw tentacles. hand. Yeah. And uh, so then this is where Maria's true feelings come out. She says, you guys are disgusting, horrible creatures from outer space, which like she's looking at Isabel with her perfect hair and her pretty pajamas. And I don't understand how she could possibly call her disgusting. (sighs) Whatever. And then Maria wakes up panting because she's so overcome by the sexual tension between the two of them or because of fear, whatever, who knows? Who can say? All right, so great. Um, the next day, we go back to Topolsky's office where she's doing follow-up with Max, and she asks him if he's having any identity issues as an adopted kid, which seems really presumptuous. Yes, a very bold question to ask from a mediocre guidance counselor. Right? Yeah, she's just going all in. Uh, she also asks him if he's thought about college, and he says he hasn't, which is bonkers because it's only two years away does he not understand how standardized testing works like you can't plan that at the last minute i don't understand aren't you already like doing pre-sats and pre-acts at this age and all that junk Mm, depends on the kid i wasn't really thinking too much about college and sophomore year i mean he seems like a relatively upper middle class kid whose parents would already be planting the idea of college in his yes. mind but with his ensuite bathroom and all right yeah i would think so wait what year are they are they sophomores are they juniors they're sophomores yeah they are sophomores yeah So Max rightly questions what the heck this has to do with anything, and the reasons that she gives don't make any sense. Like, it's very clear that this is not actually a official future week meeting. Um, So at the beginning of the scene, Topolsky is sitting in a way that really highlights Julie Benz's booty. Uh, So I just want to say, wow. But then she comes around to sit way too close to Max on the edge of the desk, and 
like again it's just weird like she's too close to a 16 year old mm-hmm. it's it's yucky and then being incredibly presumptuous again she says you don't remember anything before you were adopted do you which like first of all how would she know that why would she reveal to him that she knows that? Why would she think that this is appropriate? This seems like it would tip her hand if she is a government alien hunter spy. I Yeah, I, this whole thing, I was just like, oh, she's if she is a spy, she's very bad at it. And if she is a guidance counselor, she's very yes. bad at it. Yes, whatever her job is, she is doing it poorly. She's bad at being a geometry teacher. Oh. She's bad at all of it. But I think we've already established that almost everyone in this universe is just terrible at lying. Yes, and they're all bad at their jobs. Liz's parents don't even bother showing up, apparently, to the diner that they own. Right. But yeah, if you have an adopted kid with a history, with like a trauma history, you don't bring up a very, very sensitive topic unsolicited like the first time or second time you've met the kid. Why not? (laughs) Well, hmm. Have you heard of triggering? Have you heard of PTSD? So many things. Have you heard of, like, being a nice person? Oh, this was the 90s. Triggering didn't exist then. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that the real reason she says this is so that we can transition to Max going to the UFO Center because he wants to learn more about that time in his life that he can't remember. So once again... Like, her character at this point seems kind of like a MacGuffin. She's just pushing Max along through his plot, um, which is kind of disappointing because I feel like she could be a really cool character. So I hope she gets to do more than just set him on his way. I also, after this whole scene with Topolsky where she was being kind of inappropriate, the language that the UFO guy uses when he's talking to Max, I was like, are you are you coming on to him? When he said, you're hungrier than I thought. Yeah, well, he starts out saying, oh, I thought you were playing hard to get. And then he says, don't you tease me. And I was like, whoa, 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 what are we doing? Yeah, it was real weird. It was real, real weird. And of course, this guy's unmitigated proof of aliens in 1959 is just a shadow on the wall of an ice cream parlor. It's really sweet. Max does actually lie very well here, and he says essentially, like, oh, yeah, that's the sighting I was talking about. So good for him, at least, for once, figuring out how to lie effectively. Um, The guy wants to hire Max to work at the UFO Museum based on the fact that he's interested in this stuff, which uh, doesn't seem like much of an interview process, but whatever. I mean, I've had job interviews that were pretty much that easy. It does yeah. happen in the world sometimes. Okay. Yeah, and of course, the UFO guy gets to tell him, like, one day I'm going to stand face to face with an alien and I'll say, I told you so, which isn't something he would need to say to the alien, because the <laughs> alien knows he's an alien, you dummy. <laughs> like, you didn't tell me. <laughs> yeah, Max is like, so I, I know I'm an alien, but I mean, good talk. I will definitely work for you for minimum wage, which at the time was $4.25. So is that when we go back to the crash down? Yeah. So Maria's working. Isabel is there by herself again. I'm not really sure why she, Mm -hmm. a girl who has so many dates and pretends or seems to be so popular is just at this diner by herself all the time. But she's there by herself again and says, some people are just pigs, which I think is just downright mean. (laughs) I think it's just mean. 
Yeah, she does seem very <laughs> pleased with herself when she gets a reaction from Maria. But I think the answer to your question is she goes to the diner to hang out with her crush. Yeah. And she doesn't want anyone else there distracting mm-hmm. her with their chatter. She just wants to stare at Maria. Because she has Maria's work schedule memorized. Well, yeah, she saw it on the giant nonsensical chart that yeah. Liz made. And she apparently understood the chart. And I assume Maria works there all the time because no one else does. <laughs> So Isabel is there to get something out of Maria, but so is the sheriff. He is way more subtle than Topolsky at trying to get information. Um, So I think she should take a few notes from him. And he also looks really good in that t-shirt and jeans. Yeah. He's wearing his plain clothes and casual and nice. Mm -hmm. And that jawline isn't hurting either. I don't even like dudes and (laughs) I can agree he looks very nice. I don't understand at all why she agrees to go to his office to talk. She was under no obligation to do that. She could have just said, sorry, I have school. I'm busy. I don't think my parents would yeah. want me to go alone. Maybe you should talk to them. Um, she could have said nothing because, again, she's under no obligation to do this or to talk to him. But she agrees because plot. And... Um, Speaking of things that bash you over the head, the teacher is talking in Liz and Max's science class about the power of outside forces, where I think at this point there should have just been flashing text that came up on the screen that said, this is the theme, this is the theme. They're talking about how you can't avoid outside forces and they just act on you, and uh, it's not subtle at all. Speaking of not subtle... Max then pushes a book (laughs) on the floor so that they can then have a full volume conversation for a good two minutes. Yes, with people still only like two feet away from them, only now they're crouched down. And they're crouched down behind a table that is completely see-through. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) So great work. They were not even pretending to whisper. They were not. Uh, Liz, once again, is completely terrible at lying when she's trying to tell Max that Maria is trustworthy. I am disappointed in her that she has zero faith in Maria. But when she tries to reassure Max, he's like, oh, is she calm on the inside? And Liz is like, no. No. Nope. (laughs) I'm just going to make sure she doesn't mess up, which is a bummer. So I'm curious what the result of Liz's career aptitude test was, because I think it's something where she bosses people around all the time, but we don't find out. We find out that Genevieve is going to be a writer, which is a much better career for her than Cheese Factory. Yeah, good for her. Or Love Slave. Yes. (laughs) Kyle, law enforcement. Poor Kyle. He's so displeased. Oh, poor guy. His face. He is not in this episode very much, but he does a lot with what he's given. Yes. Alex, who has been asking the entire time, just reflecting the questions back to Topolsky, of course is told he's going to be a psychologist. It's really cute. And the Metallica guy is going to have his dream job of video store clerk, which I love. And then Isabel uh, is told that she is going to go into the caregiving fields. And she says, well, I never trusted computers, <laughs> which I think is perfect, because she's like, this lady's going to try to tell me how to run my life. Nah. Mm-mm. No. Mm-mm. I do what I want. I'm like going to be a supermodel. Yeah. And then Topolsky tells her there's nothing wrong with just wanting to be normal. Like, no. Yeah, I mean, that's fine. But there's also nothing wrong with wanting to be a supermodel <laughs> if you're Katherine Heigl. Also, like, what does she mean Normal. Like, oh, it's yeah, like know. it's normal for a woman to be a caregiver. <laughs> I'm probably reading into it too much. 
But like, what, what, what do you mean normal? It's like, there's lots of different careers she could go into. She's a teenager. Let her figure it out. Yeah, the career aptitude tests in your teenagers, I think, are just nonsense all around. Did you guys do those? No, my school mm-hmm. never even did okay. them. I've only seen that in TV. I've seen it in Buffy. I've seen it in Roswell. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure I've seen it on other shows too, but I, we never had that. When I worked for um, the district in New York that administered the GED, uh, I worked with a program where kids could go on or young adults could go on and do these tests on their own, but it wouldn't tell you like, oh, you're going to be this or that. It would tell you, it seems that your strengths and interests lie in these fields, and it seems that you would be less interested in these fields. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds like a better way to go about that. Right, than saying, hey, Kyle, you're going to be a cop. Get over it. I know, poor Kyle. (laughs) He's like, are you kidding me? Also, poor Maria for having to wear this weird anime schoolgirl outfit that I don't understand why she would even own. It looks... So out of character for her. She looks so uncomfortable in it. Yes, it's such a weird outfit choice for her compared to the other things we've seen her in so far. I know it's only the third episode, but it's definitely a weird one. Yeah, I don't don't like it. I do like that she finally stands up to Liz and tells her to stop trying to control the way she feels, which is a fair point. Except in this case, Maria is actually considering putting people's lives in danger. So, you know, there are issues. I do feel like Liz is less trying to control the way Maria's feeling and is trying to control the way Maria is acting or like, like you said, the way Maria's acting in ways that can affect others. Yeah. So. Yeah. That's a little more fair. Right. Maria stops off on her way to see the sheriff at the mechanic, where, of course, at the exact same time, Isabel's mom is dropping her off. So Maria gets to see this lovely family moment that they have. So Maria and Isabel are at the mechanic, awkwardly looking at each other. And then we pan to school, which means Maria and Isabel are both skipping school for some reason. To go to the mechanic? The sheriff told Maria to come to his office during school hours. Which would make but her true. Yesterday, he told her when she was at the crash down, uh, in theory, in the evening, because she's working, to come at this time tomorrow, which would mean come in the evening. To be fair, they're sitting in the library. Could it be after hours? Because Liz, Max, and Michael no, are all at sitting at, in the library. They're at school because the bell rings. Can I interrupt real quick? The sheriff was having breakfast at the diner when oh, he said this time tomorrow. Breakfast. Ugh, That's right. You're right. So it is first thing so in the morning. So why is Maria working? Maybe that was a Sunday when the sheriff was there. It was probably early morning. But like, is she going to work at 4 a.m.? She might be. I don't know about y'all, but like my high school started really early. We had to be at school by like yeah, 7 a.m. I mean, so. it could be a weekend, but then why is he asking her to come on a Monday morning when he knows that she's still a yeah, student? Yeah, it doesn't make sense. Um, the little trio of Liz, Max, and Michael are just sitting in the hallway at school. They're not in class. There's no one else there. They're in the, they're in the school library. No, they're in the hallway because at the end of this whole episode, the bell rings and a bunch of other folks come out into the hallway and Maria and Isabel come in and join them. They're right by the banner that says Future Week. I saw a thing that said library. So maybe they're sitting outside the library. I think they're outside the library, but they're definitely like in a common area of school. They should be in a classroom or something. 
in the music room. That's where you go, the music room. Right. Yeah, when you want to hide. With the lighting, the dramatic lighting. Yes. Um, Max is super cool with Liz having told Maria their secret, even though they're all in terrible danger now. And he also tells her that he's following this advice to not get stuck behind trees. So to Polsky, her job is done. She can go home now. She did it. She reached a student. Mission accomplished. The whole exchange between the sheriff and Maria, I thought was really well done. Um, I think William Sadler's acting in this was totally on point. I also enjoy that someone finally gets to say, hey, Maria, you're really bad at lying. <laughs> or he says, hey, let's stop lying to each other. And she's like, yeah, I, well, that's what I've been doing. Uh, he asks her, who is Isabel and why does she make you so nervous? And the answer, of course, is because she's so sexy. So also, I thought it was funny. This is the second time this episode that an authority figure goes from behind their desk to in front of their desk to talk mm-hmm. more seriously to one of the teenagers. Does this happen yeah. in real life? Because I, I feel like this not. is it's like creepy. a thing that people do on TV. And I don't know that I've ever seen anybody do that. It would make me feel uncomfortable for sure. Right. It would make you it shut down. It would make me feel so uncomfortable. It's like the opposite of what you should do if you want someone to open up to you. Yeah. Don't stand over them yeah. like that. Yeah. Um, the sheriff says that they have something in common. They didn't get to know their fathers. And we haven't heard anything about Maria's parents yet, so I wonder where that's going. Yeah, we've just we've just heard her refer to her mom when talking about, like, my mom will kill right. me if anything happens to the car. Right, the Jedi. Or my mom makes these little alien things. Right, okay. So she, it seems, lives with a, a single mother. So the sheriff doesn't have his dad because his dad's belief in aliens cost him his job and his family. Which seems like the sheriff's mom said, hey, you're embarrassing me. Let's get a divorce. Unclear, but sad. Or just that he was always lost in his work and not a present parent. Yeah, that's true. Um, The sheriff says he would hate to see anyone else lose their families, which he thinks is the line that's going to clinch things. But it's actually the line that gets Maria to think about the consequences of her actions. And so she realizes she doesn't actually want to give up the aliens. She does tell him that Isabel is a special girl. But what makes her special is just that she comes from a good family and we wouldn't want to destroy any other families in this town, would we? So a nice save for Maria, finally. Yes. Isabel has just picked up her car from the mechanic and it has already broken. So Isabel's powers aren't great, and the mechanic is, like every other adult in this town, awful at his job. But Maria gets to give Isabel a ride again, and I know that in this scene they totally get busy, which is why in the next scene Maria has completely changed her outfit. Yes, she needed to put on a totally different outfit. Everybody else is wearing the same thing, but she needed to put on something fresh. Yeah, so they hmm. they go to school because, again, they have all been skipping school this entire time. And uh, Maria has changed out of that weird jumper and put on, like, a jacket and some pants, which she must have done in front of Isabel because they walk into the school together. So it is now my headcanon that Isabel has at least seen Maria pantsless. I'm just saying, prove me wrong. Awesome. I think that's entirely possible. Oh, can I also just mention that Isabel left her smoking Jeep just on the side of the road? <laughs> yeah. 
Yep. Don't you like have to wait for the tow truck? I don't know. It's also Max's Jeep though. Like, are they sharing this Jeep? Did she not ever True. call him? Like, how how did he get to school? Did she I don't None of this makes any sense. None of it. None of it makes any sense. I know, the logistics. Oh, yeah, everyone teleports everywhere. So we get another voiceover from Liz to close out the episode, which is stupid and whatever, but now they are a real a real gang. We get the squad all together, which I yes. love this moment, but apparently Michael does not, because they're all together <laughs> for like a second, and then Michael just walks away. Yeah, he's over it. He's like, I did not get enough to do in this episode, and I am going to protest by leaving this scene as quickly as possible. Yeah, and because he is obviously the fifth wheel in this situation. Yeah, I also wish we had had more Kyle in this episode, but I am hoping that it seems like so far the first episode we had was mostly Max and Liz. The second episode was a lot of Michael, and then this episode was obviously all about Maribel. So I'm hoping in the future we get more Kyle-centric episodes, because I think he could be a really interesting character. I want to see more from Baby Hanks also. Mm-hmm. Yeah, now that he's on this path to being a world-renowned psychologist. Uh, I also, like, I don't understand why we saw Genevieve and the Metallica kids' ambitions instead of seeing Max and Michael's. Yeah, yeah I mean, weird. I guess it was just to show that she wasn't just singling out the people that she suspects of whatever she suspects them of. Yeah, but we knew that because she wrote nice notes about two of the other kids. Which I'm sure everyone knew because everyone pauses every scene to try and zoom in on handwriting in it, right? That's not just me. No, not just yes, you of course. at all. That's a normal <laughs> thing to do. Who is everyone's pick for hot and saucy? I think you know mine. Well, my pick for hot and saucy this week is actually Maria, and it's a very specific moment, and it's towards the end of the episode, and we were just talking about it. And it's when Maria gets a little saucy and sassy with Valenti when she tells him, we wouldn't want to destroy any more families in this town, would we? She just has this very sort of sassy attitude toward him when she comes back at him with that and shuts him down. And I liked it. Yeah. Nice. Right on. Aliza, what's yours? I, I think I'm going with just like a straightforward, like the... When Isabel tells Topolsky, I usually get what I want. <laughs> Ooh, that's I just, good. I just loved it. It was so good. That was good. So y'all know mine is Maribel, but specifically the moment at the beginning when they're in the car and Isabel leans over to look at Maria's keychain and the look on Maria's face, it's like she's having an entire sexual awakening in that one moment. It's beautiful. <laughs> love it she's like love what it. are you reaching for <laughs> whatever it is you may have it yes i usually get what i want <laughs> yes i look forward to seeing this storyline develop entirely in my own mind and we will all be here for it <laughs> great stay tuned for my fanfic now it's time for Lisa's predictions, where Lisa predicts what she thinks will happen in episode four, based on the title, Leaving Normal. Ooh, I think that Maria and Isabel 
are going to leave behind what have been their quote-unquote normal life so far. They are going to run away together. They'll take Michael with them because he can play bass in the band or whatever. But really, it will be the Maribel show. I know that's not really a prediction based on the title. It's just a prediction based on, I want this show to be gayer, please. You are allowed to, they're your predictions. You're allowed to predict whatever you want. Great. My prediction is that Maria and Isabel run away together and live happily ever after. The end. I would watch that show. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So there's this like Baron and Toluca spinoff thing that oh, yeah. um, Mahandra is doing with Brendan Fair. But like, let's throw Catherine Heigl in there, you know? Why not? She could be in there too. I wouldn't say no. Thanks for joining us for our discussion of Season 1, Episode 3, Monsters, a.k.a. the Super Duper Gay episode. Yay! We'll be back in two weeks to discuss Episode 4, Leaving Normal. And we have a new mini-sode coming out next Tuesday with more on the Roswell incident. And in the meantime, please subscribe and rate and review us to let us know how you think we're doing. Don't forget, our website is roswellhotsauce.com, where you can find all sorts of information about us, as well as our show notes compiled by the lovely Lisa. You can also find us on Twitter and Instagram at Roswell Hot Sauce. And if you'd like to ask us any questions or just let us know how we're doing, you can email us at roswellhotsauce at gmail.com. Pass the Hot Sauce is produced and edited by Mandy Veloso. Our theme music is by David Belcourt, and our logo was designed by Billy Murray. Until next time, remember... It like takes two people to tango, you know? And how can I tango with a girl if she's going around creeping me out like that?